Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to a new episode of Field Days, an award-winning podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your almost witty hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by the department spokesperson, Chris Gouts. Chris, like you said in the last podcast, I guess it's part two of our little mini series here. Um, the last podcast, we talked about trauma and ACEs, which I thought was super informative. But today we're going to talk about being gender responsive. Again, that's another topic in the strategic plan. And I know that our female president, uh, WHV, staff there are trained in CCMW and a lot of gender responsive things. And Chris, do you know what gender responsive means? Be gender responsive. Do you know why that's important? I, I do know why that's important. Do you want to share with everybody or you want me? I feel like it would be better if our guest maybe articulated that. Okay. I, I don't need to take all the glory. Okay. Well, that's, that's a good call. Yeah. Um, but it is important. And I'm excited to have on the deputy warden at WHV. So, Carrie, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell everybody who you are and uh, how long you've been around for and what you do. I'm Carrie Osterhout. I'm a deputy warden over at Women's Huron Valley Correctional Facility. I've been around since 1993, but working with our female population and CFA since 2001. Well, welcome to Field Days. We appreciate you being on. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm excited to, to, to get started on this. We, I mean, we know that women come to prison, I guess, with different issues than men do, right? Yes. So, uh, and that's, I guess, being gender responsive is, is recognizing that, you know, that, that the things that men come to prison for and, and in the way we handle and deal with men are, are not the same in a women's prison, and it shouldn't be the same. And that kind of gets in the goal of being gender responsive, correct? Yep. Okay. I guess, why don't you explain that further? So, I mean, what does gender responsive mean in corrections and how are the pathways different from how a woman comes to prison versus how a man comes to prison? For justice-involved women, a lot of times, a majority of the women will come in with a trauma history. That could be physical abuse, sexual abuse, domestic violence, human trafficking. They also, another pathway is addiction, because a lot of times when people are enduring trauma, they end up coping in negative ways, and one of those ways ends up being substance abuse or alcohol abuse. Another pathway would include our mental health, and then also poverty relationships, who someone is hanging out with in particular for women, their intimate partner relationships have a huge influence on behavior uh, and then their self-esteem. So when we talk about gender responsive, we talk about acknowledging those pathways and how can we assess the risk and needs of each offender and put together a plan that's going to minimize their risk and meet their needs so that they Go return to the community with everything that they need and the support and hopefully won't be back in the facility. They'll be out being successful returning citizens. I kind of want to get into, a, I guess, a two-part question here is, you know, what did WHV look like before we started moving towards the gender responsive path? And, and what does it look like now having, you know, recognizing what it means to be gender responsive, having been trained in CCMW and, and recognize it? Because we know that a lot of times women have, you know, they've been traumatized, they've been abused by men. And, you know, there's there's quite a few male corrections officers. Does that play a role in, in how we interact with a, a, a female prisoner? Well, I think how it looked like before, um, and this was back some years, because we made some pretty major changes in 2011 and 2012. But prior to that, you know, a lot of our curriculum that we were using was just universally applied to both male and females, which didn't acknowledge those pathways or the specific needs of the female population. So in the facility, creating safety is really important. And there's been a lot of policies that have been put into place for a lot of reasons. But 
even with our male correctional staff, you know, all are being professional and doing their job and following policy. Having a professional relationship with a male can actually be very healthy for someone who may have not had any or very little good relationships with um, males. So that that can actually help. And, We're sort of limited in the roles that, that males can have here in the correctional staff sure. in the women's facility. And so when, when a woman comes to prison, uh, are there different things or different programs that, that you put in place recognizing some of the issues that they may be coming to prison with? Yes, our our CBT programs and our violence prevention, social support, all those types of programs, they're all focused on um, women's needs and creating safety, talking about relationships and addressing addiction as well. So they all have pieces of that so that, you know, the person is able to get those needs addressed no matter which programs are recommended. There's a little bit, there might be a lot of focus on one thing, but there's these other um, elements of gender responsive elements sprinkled in there. And, and, and would they all get uh, some classes on, on trauma or, or is it just those who would seem to, to qualify for it or to need it? Well, we did take a universal approach to trauma in 2012, um, and that was because we looked at some research, and thankfully our administration um, approved that step in that direction so that because we had approximately 80% coming in with trauma histories, so it just made sense to deliver that. And our goals were to introduce women to that curriculum, but also Hopefully, they would be able to gain some grounding techniques and some healthy coping, understand relationships and signs of an unhealthy relationship so that even on grounds, whether they're the people that they're um, relating to here or the people that they're relating to in the community, either by the phone, that sort of thing, that they were making more healthy choices. And that seems to have really been helpful in terms of the communication and the coping mechanisms that women have coming into RGC, which is our intake can be pretty stressful. A lot of the women are worried about their children. Our fingerprint technician used to work at a male facility and she couldn't believe the difference in intake just because the women were um, inquiring about, you know, how can I find out what happened to my children when I was arrested and that sort of thing. That's a big concern upon entry. Those steps that you just laid out are, are really important and a lot of this stems from, you know, the work the whole facility is doing on its own strategic plan. And I know a couple of years ago, you know, you and I and a whole bunch of staff from the Valley and, and from around the department came together and created that plan. And we had some important folks nationally that came in and, and helped facilitate that for us. And I think it just shows, again, how much of a leader uh, Michigan is in recognizing the need for this, creating the, the Valley's first ever strategic plan just for, for, for that facility. Uh, at the same time, we made one for the department. But part of that, the gender responsivity is, is part of that strategic plan, right? And you guys are working on some goals uh, around that right now. Yes. We continue to introduce programs that will meet the needs of the population. Right now, we're really focused on human trafficking. That's a big issue for our population. And of course, domestic violence and some of the other societal problems that you'll see here as well at intake. And there's also some uh, some training that's involved for staff. So all of your training plans uh, are working on being gender responsive and trauma informed, right? That that's a big piece of making sure that everything that we're teaching staff uh, have those elements in it. 
Absolutely. Each individual staff member who is employed at Valley goes through the Collaborative Case Management for Women program. And um, and now in our training plan, um, our staff are also starting this month beginning to attend the motivational interviewing, which will be really huge in terms of giving staff just more skills to work with this population. Communication is huge and everybody feeling confident and being able to um, utilize those skills with this population will be an asset. And something you touched on earlier uh, that I wanted to just come back to is one of the pieces, and maybe it was Greg, but I, I'm going to guess it was you because it was a pretty smart uh, point that you're making um, about uh, kind of one-size-fits-all policies uh, and how that's really not the way to go. And it's my understanding that I don't know if it's the facility itself or if it's our policy shop here, but we're working on creating gender-specific policies, right, that would be that would have different um, outcomes and different plans for, for, for the Valley itself. If, if a misconduct happens, there might be X rule applied uh, at a men's prison, but it would be a, a slightly different for, for the women's. Is that, is that still in the works? Is that what we're doing? Well, those are discussions that are taking place. Um, I'm not sure where we're at with that, but we've definitely been looking at that system and, and what works for this population and making some recommendations. So we have to wait and see. Some things we've changed is like how we review a ticket and having that communication and just using responsive language and being respectful and you know our staff are are really professional so having that objective language even so that that professional relationship and trust is there you know we'll continue to work on those but there's also been a lot of policy language that has been adopted slowly but surely in terms of being gender responsive so Mm -hmm. it's still a work in progress for sure but yeah, and like we talked last week about being trauma-informed, I think the same is true for gender-responsive. This isn't like there's a one class uh, that you take or one test you fill out uh, or, or a gold star that some committee gives you that says Michigan DOC is now fully gender-responsive and trauma-informed. So I guess in your mind, how would you judge or feel like we've achieved being a, a gender-responsive uh, department or gender-responsive facility? What would that look like to you? Well, I think as we continue to operationalize those concepts, you know, um, we're looking at helping survivors rebuild their sense of safety, staff showing empathy, our organization as a whole promoting healing and recovery so that someone can leave here um, having their needs met, irrespective of what program they took or, or that sort of thing. So even in the housing unit, you know, feeling safe. I've heard stories of our staff, for example, a lot of people think, you know, third shift is a less active shift, which is somewhat true. It is, there's not a lot of movement and things like that, but, you know, that can also be a trigger for uh, a woman who's experienced trauma that nighttime, that door, hearing a door close, hearing footsteps coming down the hallway toward the room during rounds, that can be a trigger for somebody. And the staff being able to acknowledge that when someone's feeling anxious and, and just talking to them and they understanding that this is a requirement, but also acknowledging that person's anxiety and referring to mental health when appropriate, of course. Yeah. You know, Carrie, I think you've laid out quite well the differences between a, a female prison and a male prison. And you know, there's lots and lots of research out there about how, you know, being gender responsive will get you better outcomes, right? I mean, you've said right. a lot as far as the, the relationship, and I don't mean relationship in that way, but the relationship that the, in the interactions that our staff have with, you know, a female prisoner has to be different than the one they have with a male prisoner. So you know, I, I appreciate everything that you said. And, you know, I, I hope that when we, when we do make some policy changes that it, and I know it will, you know, the things that we talked about are incorporated in that because it matters and, and the outcomes matter. And 
I think you're seeing already, uh, you know, after having done this for five, six, seven, eight years, uh, the difference that the prison sees when we're more gender responsive. So thank you, number one, so much for coming on today and talking about, you know, what WHV is doing around being gender responsive. But number two, thank you for um, what you do every single day at the prison. You're clearly um, aware you're, you're making a difference. Uh, you're, you're advocating for these changes and um, you're seeing the benefit of the changes. So thank you so much for what you do every single day. And uh, thanks for sharing your, your story at WHV today. Well, Holly, it's, it's nice to have you on. I know Chris is not uh, able to finish out this podcast, you know, so we're, we're going to finish strong now having you here. So what'd you think? Did you, did you, did you find that podcast informative with uh, Deputy Warden Carrie Osterhout and talking about gender responsive things happening at WHV? Yeah, I really learned a lot and uh, I'm excited to share it with everybody else. Yeah, you know, if you want to know more about what WHV is doing, you know, around this area, I assuming that you're listening right now, and if you are listening, that means you probably saw a link to uh, the strategic plan at WHV. So give that a, a look-see and uh, check out what, what else is going on at WHV um, in addition to gender responsive and their strategic plan for the next few years. Uh, there's a big announcement last week. There wasn't, was a wasn't big there, announcement. Yeah. FOA had a, had a wonderful, wonderful ARU investigator um, up for the Corrections Officer of the Year Award, along with, I think, four? How many, how many other COs? Four others. Okay. So, yes. Are you going to drum roll this? Or this, this is a big deal. We're going to table drum roll. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that or not. <laughs> so if you uh, missed the announcement on Tuesday, James Sims, he's a corrections officer at G. Robert Cotton Correctional Facility. He's our 2020 Officer of the Year. He's involved in a ton of stuff. The list just uh, goes on and on, uh, like many of our excellent corrections officers out there who are so involved in the community. He's one of our state employees' charitable campaign volunteers. He does uh, law enforcement torture and events like the Polar Plunge and some of the other things that uh, support Special Olympics Michigan. He's an Army veteran, and he's really involved in the LGBTQ community and has attended LGBT criminal justice professionals conferences. So he's our... Does he ever sleep? You know what? I don't know. I uh, as I was reading through the list of all he's involved in, I, I wonder how he how he fits it all in. There's and hours I hours in the day for all that. Jeez, always he's super involved. There's I, some I, magic going on. No, there. no wonder you can see why you know he was up for this award and, and eventually won. That's uh, quite the resume of things outside of work. And you know that really you know speaks highly of him because you know you, you could be a great employee at work, which is awesome, and we have a, a ton of those. But just all the extra things that he's doing outside of work in his community, you know, with to support people, to help people, really I think really speaks to the person that that he is. So. I'm excited, number one, to get him on the podcast now because, you know, we always have our award winners, our big award winners from the from the Employee Appreciation Banquet on the podcast. So we'll have to get him on the podcast and talk more about um, everything that he's doing because this is uh, super interesting. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more from him on the podcast, too. He, um, You mentioned all the support he does in the community, and he does a lot to support his coworkers, too. I mean, being a field training officer for new corrections officers, and he's part of the um, Traumatic Incident Stress Management Program and supporting his colleagues that way. So congrats, Officer Sims. Yeah. We're excited to have him as Corrections Officer of the Year. And congratulations as well to our other um, Corrections Officer of the Year finalists, Absconder Recovery Unit Investigator Carlos Cook. Oaks Correctional Facility Officer Brenda Nichols, Michigan Reformatory Corrections Officer Casey Datema, and Kinross Correctional Facility Officer Robert Mills. So con big congratulations to everyone. Great corrections officers, great group of uh, finalists and um, corrections officer nominees across the state. Yeah, hu huge kudos to um, everyone uh, of the finalists for the Officer of the Year Award. So did you see, I think it was last week, it was around February 7th. When was that? That was a couple weeks ago, actually. That Governor Whitmer put out a press release. 
And it just happened to mention our first ever female director in the Department of Corrections. You know who that would be, right? I know you always put trivia out in the Corrections Connection. So a little trivia for you, Holly. Do you know who that was? I think it was Pat Caruso. Yeah, that's that's that was a, I know that was a tough one. But uh, yeah, you're right. So Governor Whitmer put out a press release announcing that she appointed former director Pat Caruso to the Lake Superior State University Board of Trustees. So that's a pretty big deal to be on the Board of Trustees at a college. She's from up there. She went there. So I mean, what better person to put on the Board of Trustees? So Governor Whitmer says, Patricia is a leader who is deeply familiar with um, Lake Superior State University and Sioux St. Marie community. Education is one of Governor Whitmer's top priorities, and she's confident that uh, that Pat Caruso has the unique experience and skills necessary to lead LSSU in the right direction. And then Pat Caruso says, this is an incredible honor to be appointed to serve on the board of Lake Superior State University. I am a proud graduate of LSSU, and I'm excited about the significant work we are doing in so many areas. As a small university, we make a real difference in the lives and futures of our students, our faculty, and our community. I am committed to being part of a team who takes our university into new frontiers and gives our students the best possible preparation for the opportunities awaiting them. So huge congratulations to, you know, an awesome director, an awesome former director, Pat Caruso. She, you know, she's very innovative and creative, and I'm sure that will lead into some great things happening in the UP at LSSU. So what else we got, Holly? Those are two pretty big uh, announcements with the Corrections Officer of the Year, former Director Pat Caruso being nominated to the Board of Trustees. You know what else? Talk, speaking of Governor Whitmer, right? I think she announced something else, didn't she? She did. She announced that um, February 24th to the 29th is Opioid Use Disorder Awareness Week. So that's to bring uh, more attention to the opioid crisis and all, you know, people across the state who are struggling with that and in need of assistance and treatment. And we're doing a lot of uh, great work within the Department of Corrections to help people uh, overcome their struggles with opioid use. And we hope to uh, be highlighting some more of that soon. Um, When you see the next Corrections Connection come out, there's going to be a story on medication-assisted treatment. That was announced late last year. The Department of Corrections would be Um, doing medication-assisted treatment in its prisons, and that's going to be rolling out very soon at our pilot sites. And hopefully we'll have on Dr. McIntyre here shortly. We're trying to get that scheduled, you know, and she can talk more about the use of MAT, uh, you know, to really help people struggling with an OUD, an an opioid use disorder, kind of move past that and, and really save their life. You know, I, I know Matt has, and when I say Matt, medication-assisted treatment, which is Suboxone and, and Methadone and Vivitrol. Um, you know, so some of that has a stigma to it as far as people using that and, sh- you know, is it should we do that or not? Um, and I hope when Dr. McIntyre comes on, you know, we, you know, we can have a frank discussion about, you know, the myths and, and, try, and kind of busting some of these myths because it really is a life-saving thing for a lot of people to use. I mean, it's not a silver bullet. You have to be involved and engaged in treatment while you're on Matt. Matt isn't going to solve your problems, but Matt, along with uh, many other things like treatment and recovery coaches, can really really have a huge impact on somebody's life who is struggling with this with this disease. So I'm excited to have the department go in this direction. And, and you know, we've been using it in the field for quite a while and having it now inside the facilities, I think is going to be a game changer. So I'm excited to have her on to talk more about this and, and have a frank discussion because I know some staff are, you know, I'm, I'm sure apprehensive about the use of some of the stuff inside of a facility. Even in talking to some staff for the story for the Corrections Connection, we heard that there was some resistance to it. I mean, we'd spent so much time trying to keep substances like Suboxone out of prison, and now we're bringing it in as part of this new treatment program. But after learning more about it, after receiving some training, they really saw the benefits and saw how this can change people's lives for the better and uh, how it can help them overcome addiction and really create um, an even safer environment inside the facility. Right. So stay tuned uh, to learn more about that on a new episode of Field Days Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. We'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast. You can do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. 
You can always follow the department on Facebook at MI Corrections and on Twitter at Michigan DOC, as well as the FOA account at MDOC FOA and the CFA account at MDOC CFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Field Days Podcast.